Welcome to another episode of Men's Bible Study. Our missions and connections pastor, Dr. Justin Hillhouse, joins us today to continue our series titled, Mad Men of the Old Testament. Today, Hillhouse will be reading from Joshua chapter six and seven. Now, let's hear from Dr. Hillhouse. Good morning, gentlemen, how y'all doing? Yeah. If you have your copy of God's Word, open it up, turn it on. We are going to be in Joshua chapter 6 as we discuss bad men of the Old Testament or mad men of the Old Testament, whichever one it is. So we're going to be in Joshua chapter 6 and in Joshua chapter 7. Now, uh, as you turn there, there is a question I do have for you that I would like for you to discuss right there at your table. And the question that kind of sets this whole time up is this, is which is a greater tragedy? Which is a greater tragedy? An innocent man being punished for something he did not do or a guilty man getting away with it? All right, discuss it at your table. Which is the greatest tragedy or which is a greater tragedy? An innocent man being punished for something he did not do or a guilty man getting away with it? Ready? One, two, three, go. Discuss. All right, from Secret Service, which Guilty one? Guilty man to go free. Guilty man to go free. Okay, spoken like a true... No hesitation. No hesitation. Okay. All right. All right. Hey, uh, we're going to be talking just real briefly about this guy named Aiken, about this dude named Aiken, and you probably know the story. And so I want to take a little different view of Aiken, but we're just going to kind of go through the story, go through the history, and then just kind of draw out some uh, thoughts and points from Achan's life and from this story that we see in Scripture. First of all, in Joshua chapter 4 and 5 and and 6 and 7, we see that the Israelites go across the Jordan River and that it is now time for the Israelites to take the town of Jericho. Now, here's what's so cool to know about Jericho. Jericho is a strategic uh, city there in Israel. Because really, to the south of Jericho, you have what's known as the wilderness, okay? And it is dry there. It is desolate. Nobody go- gets to Jerusalem um, by going uh down south, they have to always come from the north because it's protected and surrounded by all these, all, all this desert land, okay? And so really, your main force, if you're going to take Jericho, all right, you're going to need to kind of come from the north. And when you come from the north, there in Jericho, it's strategically placed because it's right there by the Jordan River, so it is well watered and irrigated. It's in a plain that sits at the hill of the wilderness, okay? And what's so great about it is when you go through this land, it is just plain after plain after plain of just lush vegetation. If you are going to plant there, it is the perfect place to farm. And so it is a fantastic city, okay? It is able to be well defended. 
uh, just right out from its doors, you have plenty of land to the north that is lush. The land is fertile. And so when the spies go in and, and Joshua says, hey, listen, is, is this stuff good? Is the land good? Everybody gives thumbs up. Yes, the land is good. Okay, And so Joshua then is instructed by God to take the army, and we can estimate his army around 40,000 fighting men. We get that right around Joshua chapter 4, verse 14. But we think roughly about 40,000 fighting men. He takes there across the Jordan River, and then God instructs them, hey, it's pretty simple, okay? You're going to take seven days, six days, you're going to march around the city of Jericho, right? One time every day. And then on the seventh day, you're going to march around seven times. And then at the very end of the seventh time you go around, you are going to blow the horn and you are going to shout and the walls are going to come tumbling down. So God gives them these instructions. And then in Joshua chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, God gives them these instructions before they go in. So he said, hey, here's what you need to do to conquer the city. But here's a caveat to taking the city. And he says this, he says, the city and all that is in it will be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all uh, who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make camp uh, of, of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. Okay, pay attention to that sentence. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All silver, gold, and articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. And so what God does is he makes a blanket statement, okay? And he says, if anyone messes up, if anyone takes something that rightfully belongs in my treasury, okay, then everyone messes up, okay? Everyone messes up if just simply one person takes what is mine. And so there is peer pressure there, okay, for nobody to screw up, okay? And peer pressure is a strong, strong uh, uh, encouragement tool, is it not? Okay? There are a lot of dumb things we've done because of peer pressure, right? Yeah. All right? Hey, do this. Hey, drink this. Hey, smoke this. Hey, shoot this up, right? Okay, are you with me? I've heard that. Yeah, yeah, you've heard that. Uh -huh. You know, hey, man, I think you can do this. I think you can do that. Yeah, man, why don't you? And what do you say? Hey, hold my beer. Watch this. Okay? There's peer pressure there. Okay? And peer pressure is strong. And so what God does is he says, hey, listen, if one of you screws up, then everybody screws up. And so now everybody's looking at everybody. Hey, don't screw up. Hey, you don't screw up. Usually we think of peer pressure as a negative thing. This peer pressure is a positive thing as well. We always think, hey, don't get influenced by the crowd. Hey, listen, I want to be with a group of men that influence me in the proper way, right? 
And so what are these guys doing? What is Joshua leading his men into? Hey, listen, let's go in here. Let's all together destroy this and let's give God what he deserves. That is positive. That is good. Okay? That is positive and that is good. So we come to Joshua 7. And we're introduced to this dude named Achan. And while we don't know very much about Achan, we do know that he is not an outsider. Because we see that there is a lineage listed there in Scripture. So his family has been around. His family has been a part of the Israelites for generations. He is a true born and bred Jew. And you look there in Joshua chapter 7, verse 1, and it says this, But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, the son of Cameron, and the son of Zimri, and the son of... And it keeps on going. And the tribe of Judah took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now notice what Scripture says. But the Israelites were unfaithful. Scripture doesn't say that Achan was, was unfaithful. What does Scripture say? The Israelites were unfaithful. You know why? Because God said, if one of you screws up, who screws up? Everybody screws up. Okay? Everybody screws up. And so, there is not just one person to blame, but everyone is to blame. However, this is not found out until the Israelites go to Ai and they fight there. And we find out that as the Israelites go to Ai, they show up, Ai routes them, and 36 men are killed. They pay with their lives, Joshua 7, 4 through 5. So about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai who killed 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. And so the Israelites come back. Joshua cries out to God and God tells him that there is sin in the camp. And now it is time to find out who messed up. Now, during all this time, Jay, uh, Achan had time to confess. Because, you know, there's kind of time between going in, destroying a city, okay, taking it over, beginning to settle. Now it's time to expand. It's time to grow. And so now let's start taking out all these other city-states all around us. And so there has been time for Achan to fess up, but rather he does not. He, he kind of sits there and he just kind of waits. And in Joshua 7, 16 through 21, the Israelites come back from defeat. So the next morning, it says this, early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes and Judah was chosen. The clans of Judah came forward and it keeps on going there. And finally... In verse 18, Joshua had his family come forward man by man, and Achan was chosen. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me, what have you done? Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, It is true I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. 
This is what I have done. When I saw the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. Now, I know what you're thinking. This is a great story just to talk about sin and really just hiding sin and that we will be punished for our sin. And and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that at the very end today when we see what happens to Achan. But really, I want to take a slightly different look at Achan in his life. This story is just not of historical value and of spiritual value. It is not just about hearing Achan and messing up. Uh, But I think there's also some good news in this story. And here is the good news. The good news is that we today in 2020 can read this story, look back at it and say, this is how not to mess up. Are y'all with me on that? Hey, this is not, this is how not to mess up. And so if you don't want to mess up, look at this story and say, you know what? I don't want to be like that dude. I don't want to be like that guy. And so let's look at Achan. First of all, there are two things uh, we can learn from this, okay? Two things we can learn, and then we'll talk real quick about three things we can do practically. But there are two things we can learn. First of all, sin is never personal. Hear this, sin is never personal. When you look at Scripture, Scripture tells us what the devil has come to do, okay? In 1 Peter 5, uh, Eight. It says this, be on alert and sober mind the enemy. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Jesus says in John 10, 10, the thief comes to kill and destroy. <coughs> I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly or to the full. Guys, it is the devil's prerogative to take you out. But please understand this and please know this. The devil just doesn't want to take you out. He doesn't just want to take you out personally. He wants to take out all the personnel that's around you as well. So he's just not after you. He's after your wife. He's after your coworkers. He's after your kids. And if he can pull you down and you can bring other people down with you, it's not just a success to get you, but now he's got everybody else around you. And so for us, it's not just personal. Okay? It is not just personal. And I've heard John Mark talk about this, and you've heard us talk about this, is that we might have that one personal sin. Guys, there is no such thing as just that one personal sin because it affects all the other personnel around us. So my personal sin, that one little thing that I have hidden, affects so many other people. And it could cause them to be drug down. And guys, as I was reading this and studying this, I'll be honest, I didn't like that. Because hey, if I have a personal sin, it's okay if I get hurt. But now we're talking about my kids. Now we're talking about my wife. Now we're talking about those that are employed under me. We're talking about those whom I love. We're talking about so much more 
Don't just look at the small picture, gentlemen. Look at the big picture. That's what the devil's doing, and he wants all of you. And all of you is not just you, it's everyone else that you have a world of influence about and with. And so let us be careful. Let us be careful and know that sin is never just personal. It affects so many others. And you look at Joshua chapter 7, verse 4 and 5, what does it say? So about uh, 3,000 men went up. They were routed by Ai, who killed about 36 men. Achan was greedy, and 36 innocent men lost their lives. Didn't even know. They didn't even know. Literally, they were blindsided. And they were cut down for no good reason, only because Achan was greedy. Man. And for what? A nice robe and some money? That's, that's basically what these guys lost their lives for. A nice robe and some money. We always talk about that one sin, that personal sin. I just, I just want to encourage you. Man, find a dude to have that good peer pressure. It is fascinating. There's 40,000 men in Joshua's ar army. 39,999 of them obeyed. Right? 39,999 of them obeyed. Guys, I can't, I can't talk about that one, but let us be that 39,999. Let us, through good peer pressure, encourage one another. I like what James 5, 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Guys, find that dude that you can go to and say, Hey, look, I'm, I'm messing up. Or, Hey, I need help. Here's the second thing we see, is that we need to believe and know that God is fully loving and just. God is fully loving, but God is also just. What did God say in Joshua 6.18? But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble to it. God gives fair warning. Does he not? God gives fair warning. And like a good parent, he sticks to his word. You mess up, I am going to punish you. Right? Y'all with me? That's what a good parent does. Okay? It is not to be mean, but it is to guide the child. God loves us, and if God truly loves us, he will discipline us. And I trust me, I don't like discipline, do you? But guess what? God loves us. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? Gentlemen, did you just hear that? And I have you, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement 
Man, God has given us a word of encouragement here. Listen to this. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises everyone he accepts as his son. Guys, we may screw up and we might pay the price for it, but here's the good news. I'd much rather pay the price here on earth than in eternity. Are you all with me on that? Much better to pay the price here. Much better for God to discipline me here. Now, I don't want us all to screw up. I don't want us all to fall, and neither do you. But if it happens, better we fall here than in eternity. Proverbs 3.12, I like it. what it says, and this is really where Hebrews gets this from. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resist his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Part of parenthood is teaching our children that we must both love them and because we love them, we must discipline them. We must. Um, so I got the privilege to go to Israel with pastor and we told our kids on Sunday, you have to go to church. Y'all with me on this? On Sunday, they're 16 and 14. Okay. You have to go to church. Okay. And so, uh, they started negotiating, right? That's typical teenagers do. Well, what time do we have to go? Do we have to go to both services? And finally, after the negotiations, I said, look, I said, you have to go to one service. Okay? I don't care which one. Well, do I have to go to youth group? Well, I don't care. Just show up to church for an hour. Okay? That's what it, it, that's what it boiled down to. I don't care what you do on Sunday morning. <clears throat> you have to show up to church for an hour. Okay? My son's like, well, like, John Mark's so boring. What if I fall asleep? I said, I don't care if you're sitting in, is he in here? Okay, good. If you're sitting in church for an hour, I don't care. Okay? What happens if the sermon goes long? I don't care. Okay? Show up to church. You know what my daughter does? She gets up Sunday morning, comes to church actually serves in the children's ministry. Totally skips church, but she shows up. That's right. <laughs> Mom, and it's, er, it's, it's, it's early uh, mon- uh, or late uh, uh, Monday night, because there's an eight-hour difference. Mom pulls out her phone about that time and checks, because we have that little track my phone deal. So we're in Israel. Guess what we see at about 1130? My daughter up here at church, my son's phone is at home. Okay? But we don't know if he's there or not. Y'all with me on that? <clears throat> well, we call daughter. We call our, our daughter. Hey, how's it going? Oh, it's good. Yeah, and guess what? She just totally riffs on him. <laughs> Cole didn't go to church. Okay, thanks. Mental note. We come home. Everything's great. Saturday, we're back. Saturday, we're back. It's chore time. I call Colt down. I said, Colt, come into my office. He comes into my office there at the house. I said, Colt, 
I said, I heard rumor that you didn't go to church. Is that true? And he goes, who told? How'd you find out? And I said, son, I'm your parent. I know everything, right? I see all, I hear all. I am like omnipresent. You cannot escape. I will know. And then here's what he does. And this is where things just go completely wrong. As he goes, well, I, I, my alarm didn't go off. Emily didn't wake me up. Sloan, Sloan's is staying at our house. He lives with us. He was lazy. He didn't even get my son up. Why, not, why didn't you help my son out? No excuses. Anyway, he lays out every excuse in the book, right? And he won't own up to it. He won't fess up to it. And I'm like, dude, it doesn't matter. I told you, go to church. You have to go one hour. That's it. One hour. I said, son, you're doing all the chores today for everyone. I'm going to sit here and do nothing. And he goes, dad, that's not fair. I said, you, you traded one hour for four hours. Let this be a lesson to you. And he's like, oh, man, and he's so mad. And he's, he's blaming everyone else but himself. But, gentlemen, that is what we do. It's everyone else's fault. It's not my fault. And I love how pastor always mentions we need to fess up to our own stuff. We need to fess up to our own junk. And when you look at Achan, look at what Achan does. He doesn't come back and say, you know what, I really messed up. There's some time between Jericho Falls and Ai's battle. There was some time there for Achan to have a guilty conscience, which I'm sure he did, to show up and be like, look, I really messed up here. There was some time to confess. And gentlemen, right now, there is some time to confess. Take time to confess. Take time to go to God and say, God, I am sorry I messed up. Look at what it says at the end of Joshua 7. Joshua 7, 25 and 26. Joshua said... Because they finally found Achan out. Look at what it says. Why have you brought this trouble on us? Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all of Israel stoned him. And after they stoned the rest, they buried them. When you say, uh, when you say the rest, they took not only him, but his whole family out. And stoned them. And burned them. Over Achan, they heaped a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Anchor uh, ever since. So what do we do with this information? Three things real quick. How, how do we take Achan's life and make it practical to us today? First of all, number one, check your attitude. Just simply check your attitude, our emotions, as well as our thoughts and our will can sometimes trick us. We can't let our emotions drive us or even drive our 
decisions. Rather, we must allow our emotions to be filtered through God's word and through God's truth. We need to be asking ourselves all the time, how are my actions or reactions show God's goodness and not myself? How is my action or how is my reaction going to show God's goodness and not myself? I like what John MacArthur said. He said, we can feel strongly about obedience and not be obedient. We can feel that it's uh, right to be obedient and not obey. We can feel confident that obedience is the path to blessing and usefulness and joy and still not obey. Guys, we can talk about obedience all day long, but if we choose not to, then it doesn't really do us any good. We need to check our attitude. Is my action or reaction going to bring people to God, or is it going to show people about myself? Can I just be honest? There are days when I wake up and I look at my wardrobe and I say, I am not putting on a Cottonwood Creek t-shirt. Are y'all with me on that? Okay. I mean, it's as simple as that. <laughs> you know why? Because there's going to, because the way I'm feeling, the way I'm feeling is, uh, I might pop off and I don't want somebody to know that I'm from Cottonwood Creek. Okay. I'll put on a first McKinney shirt and wear that all day. I don't care. No, but seriously, I, you know, I won't put on a Christian t-shirt. Aiken let emotion and greed and selfishness get in the way, and he paid a high price. But get this, he not only paid a high price, but other innocent folks around him paid a price. Other innocent folks around him paid a price. Number two, keep a clean slate. Keep a clean slate. Remember God's mercies and just simply fess up. Own up to it. I like what Psalm 32, 5 says. Then I acknowledge my sin to you. It did not cover up my iniquity. God, here is my sin. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Mm, I like that. Don't wait like Achan did. Don't sit there and wait and say, oh no, I don't, you know, I don't want to be found out. I don't want to just go ahead. Find somebody else. Find that peer pressure, that other dude that you can trust and say, hey, listen, I need help with this. I'm struggling over here. Find somebody like that and go before God. Pray and ask for forgiveness. Don't bury it in your tent. Don't bury it in your tent. I would kind of think that his wife is guilty too because my wife would walk in and be like, hey, what's this pile of dirt here on our floor? What, why have you been digging, honey? Well, I don't know. Third and finally, focus on doing what's right. Just make it simple. Just simply focus on doing what is right. I like what Tom uh, or Tim uh, Grissom wrote in Life in Action. He said this, Do not minimize the choices you make today. 
the choice to obey God in one thing makes it more likely that you will choose to obey him in the next. 39,999 men obeyed. You know, I'm surprised that not more guys messed up, right? I'm surprised that there's one. Out of all those, out of all those dudes, only one messed up out of a group that size. And for all of them to obey, gentlemen, is quite simply amazing, is it not? For 39,999 men to obey is amazing, but it is one guy that ruined it. Gentlemen, you have a family, you have coworkers, you have employees. A lot of them can be doing the right thing, but it is that one person that can bring the whole thing down. Are you all with me on that? And we see that in examples over and over and over again in life. So let me encourage you. Let me encourage you. Check your attitude. Keep a clean slate and focus on doing what is right. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for this day. Father, may we, may we not be like Achan and hide our sin, bury it there in our tent. But God, may we come forward and confess our sin to you. Father, may we find that guy to help us that would be a good and positive influence on us, that would have positive peer pressure on us to follow and obey you. Father, if we don't have that person, please bring that person to each one of us here. God, as we go forth into this world, may we be salt and light because it is so dark and so bland. And God, may we be lights in our families, in our, in our office, and Father, here at the church. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all that you have done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's men said, y'all have a great day. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to today's Bible study. For more information regarding Cottonwood Creek, go to cottonwoodcreek.org. And we hope you tune in next week for more episodes of Men's Bible Study.